Thank you, praise team. Amy, I loved your explanation of emotion with, with music. I thought that was dead on, and I appreciated the songs this morning. Uh, they moved me to emotion. Uh, you know, it reminds me, you know, I've, I've, I've known people in the past that, um, you know, their walk with Christ is just this intellectual decision that they've made. I've never been able to do that myself because I'm overwhelmed by the forgiveness of God. Um, maybe your lives have been so exemplary uh, that you, you don't sense it. But let me tell you, I am a sinner saved by grace. And it's His grace alone that saves and sustains me. And I'm aware of the love of God. And um, I wish I wasn't so emotional about it at times. I always go, oh, doggone it. I'm going to cry. And uh, so I, I'm sorry about that. But uh, there is a lot of truth to what Amy said. We, we were at uh, Trevecca last week, and one of the songs they, they sang, I don't know what it was called. I think it was called Tremble. Uh, but the phrasing was something to the effect, when I heard your voice, I, ca- I came running out of that grave. <laughs> and, and if you think of that imagery, uh, you know, if, if, if you were dead <laughs> and you were aware and you were dead and you were raised alive, would you stroll out or would you run out? Uh, we, we have a father that's worthy of our running towards him and praising him. As David says in, in, in the Old Testament, he's, he's dancing before the ark of God and he says, I'll be even more undignified than this. <laughs> uh, you know, God doesn't call us to be dignified. He calls us to be passionate about him. And I think that's one of the things I appreciate about our crazy Nazarene heritage. Uh, You know, we've been not known as the most dignified people in the world. You realize that. Maybe you don't have a... In some of the churches I grew up, people acted like crazy people (laughs) at times. Anybody ever been in a church service like that where they were running around the aisles and and, uh, waving their hands and I'm not saying you have to do that, but, uh, you know, I, I think it is good to get outside ourselves and not be so consumed with ourselves uh, that we can worship God. I'll read something from Max Licato, uh, and uh, you, you've all heard this before. It's, it's an old story. It's, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom and turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Then realized that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, 
Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, blown over, and that's enough to steal the song from the stoutest of hearts. How many chippies out there today? How many feel like a chippy this week? It's, it's sometimes you have weeks where you feel like you're, you're washed over, blown up, sucked in. And, 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 and we have weeks where we're, we're just completely worn out, overdrawn, overstressed. Any, anybody like that this morning? <laughs> Say, Pastor, that's exactly how I feel. You feel like chippy. Uh, it's an epidemic in our age. There, there are so many people that, that their schedules are so overbooked, their bank accounts are so overdrawn, everything is so stressful. <laughs> even, even our younger people, or even our students, live lives where stress is the norm. And uh, even when you retire, stress becomes the norm. In the book Margin, uh, Richard Swenson writes, why do so many of us feel like air traffic controllers out of control? How can the salesman feel so stressed when the car is loaded with the extras, the paycheck is bigger than ever, and vacation lasts four weeks a year? How is it possible that the homemaker is still tired despite the help of the washing machine, clothes dryer, dishwasher, and vacuum cleaner? If we are so prosperous, why are the therapists so full? If we have 10 times more material abundance than our ancestors, why are we not 10 times more content and fulfilled? Why? Because we find ourselves in the midst of an unnamed epidemic. The disease of marginless living is insidious, widespread, and virulent. Uh, This is from the book Margin. All of us live these lives, or, or there's a potential in all of our lives to live these lives where all the margins of our life are filled in. And and we are intended to have margins in our life. We are intended to have gaps in our life. It's in in creation there there is this thing called Sabbath that in, in our life there is meant to be this time where we stop and we rest. Even God the creator that spoke creation into being stopped and rested. And so in the fabric of creation, there is created this expectation of rest. What we find in the Ten Commandments, there is this expectation of rest, that that we will take time not to be doing, but just simply resting. We talked about this not too long ago, that the commandment is for our benefit. It's not simply a restriction. God's not just saying, I don't want you to have the pleasure of working all the time. (laughs) Makes you wonder how many of the commandments are for our benefit, not our restriction. And so we are given this invitation to rest. Jesus gives us the invitation to rest. In in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation, this this. This permission to rest is written to the very fabric of the Bible. It's written into the fabric of our relationship with Jesus Christ. He calls us not just to labor, but to rest in Him. 
and yet so many people in the church and outside the church, but even in the church, are working themselves to death. In the book Margins, Swenson talks about the lack of margin. This, this isn't a Christian writer, but, but, but he makes some, some very strong points in, in the lack of margin in modern society. And, and his point is that progress works against margin in life. Progress works against rest. Um, we, we are limited human beings. If you're unlimited in your resources and, and your energy and your time, would you just raise your hand? I'm just curious. Any, any unlimited, any supermen out there, right? All of us have limits. And progress is unlimited and unstoppable. And it continues to move forward. And this, this immovable, this unstoppable, this, this unlimited force is working against humanity's limitations, as I, I thought about this, this sermon, I thought about what it says, I believe, in Daniel, that in the last days people will be running to and fro and, and uh, you know, and, and knowledge will increase greatly. I, I thought about that passage as I thought about where we are as people. And it, 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 you, you see that, that, that it seems like we are, we are running at this pace and we are, information is overloading us and, 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 and we're, we're going here and there and we're doing this and that. And, and it's working against the, the natural human condition. When you have a limited human and you have unlimited progress, then you end up with no margin in life. He, he gives five axioms, and we're just going to go through them real quick. Or we're we're going to stop, but just so you can kind of understand. He says, progress works by differentiating our environment, thus always giving us more and more of everything faster. The spontaneous flow of progress, axiom two, the spontaneous flow of progress is towards increasing stress, change, complexity, speed, intensity, and overload. Axiom three, all humans have physical, mental, emotional, and financial limits that are relatively fixed. Axiom four, the profusion of progress is on a collision course with human limits. Once the threshold of these limits is exceeded, overload displaces margin. And I would say that pretty much we're there right now. And then on the axiom five, on the unsaturated side of their limits, humans can be open and expansive. On the saturated side of these limits, however, the rules of life totally change. When there is no margin, and what Swenson is saying is, that is, is when we live within our limitations... As Clint Eastwood says, a man's got to know his limitations, right? When we live within our limitations, we are open to relationship, we are open to love, we are open to God, we are open to each other, we are open to service, we are open to being a, a fully human. But, but when we bind ourselves down, when, when we, we live without margin in our life, all of these things fall by the wayside. It creates pain in your life. It creates stress in your life. It creates relationship breakdowns. Some of you are dealing with sickness 
because you are simply overcommitted in your life in every area. All of these things happen when humanity lives without limits. And unfortunately, we live in a time where people are overcommitted, they're overscheduled, that they overspend. And as a result, we see pain, relationship issues, and sickness. And when I think of relationship issues, it's not even the relationships you have at home, but it's our relationship with God that suffers as well. We need margin. All of us in this room need margin. God understood that when he created Sabbath in the fabric of creation. God understood that in the commandments. God has understood that. Jesus understands that we need rest for our souls. In the book Margin, Swenson writes, Margin, however, knows how to nurture relationship. In fact, Margin exists for relationship. In other words, when, when, and, and, and just think about your relationships at home. How many times do you have fights in your home because of lack of margin in your budget? How many times are fights sourced in lack of margin in your time? How often do you have conflict in other situations because of those two very similar things, that you spend too much money or you spend too much time in a certain area? But when there's margin, relationships flourish. When there's no margin, there can be no love. Um, Love is, by its very definition, a giving of yourself. And when you have scheduled yourself to the point that, that you cannot give of yourself financially, emotionally, in time, when your time is so full that you are not available for other people, I would submit since love is giving, it is impossible to love like Jesus loved. If I have nothing to give... I cannot love. And the truth is, we have this high command to to love God, to love others. We have this high command to live like Jesus. We have this high command where we're called to serve, where we're called to share, where we're called to be generous. And oftentimes, we're just simply not able to because of the commitments of our money and the commitments of our time. Can I stop just for a second? Uh, I don't want to lay false guilt on you. And I know most of us sitting in this room today would love to be able to do better. Amen? And, and, And so as I'm saying these things... I want you to understand that as your pastor, I'm not belittling or just trying to create false guilt, but we need to be aware of the circumstances. We need to be aware of where we are. Your schedules, your finances are being bombarded. And some might suggest, as a matter of fact, I believe it's C.S. Lewis in, in one of his writings that talks about Satan, de, Satan, instead of trying to, to divert the people of God 
to, to bad things just overfills their schedule with good things. That just keep them busy. If you keep them busy and preoccupied, then they can't be about the kingdom business. And so I think we need to be aware that we have an enemy of our soul that, that, that maybe he'll never get you to, to commit some, some terrible sin. But instead, he'll just keep you so preoccupied that you can't live to the expectation, the desire of God, the, 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 the desire of God that you serve and you love other people. God's greatest desires for you close, intimate relationship with you, with your heavenly Father, relationship, loving relationships with those around you, opportunity to serve and to share Him, to allow Him to flow through you, cannot be lived out without margin. And the enemy of your soul is desiring to take all of that margin and use it. Now next week we're going to talk about how we serve out of margin. And we're going to talk about, we're going to use, in the Old Testament, they, they tell them to leave the margins, to leave the edges of their fields, to, to not glean their fields twice, and then leaving that margin for the orphan and the widow and, and the alien. That, that is a way they care for people. And, and so, you know, the, the suggestion will be is, how do we leave the margins of our life for other people? How, how can other people glean from our fields? And since not many of you are farmers, it's not, we, we will not take that in a literal way, okay? But I want to use a story today that's familiar. It's from Luke chapter 10, beginning verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Don't you care that my sister is lazy, right? Tell her to help me. Can, can we stop? How many has been there? <laughs> you know, Martha's not unreasonable here, is she? This isn't unreasonable. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. <laughs> What's this tell us? We can choose margin. You have a choice to make. And you can choose margin in your life. You can choose how you spend your money. You can choose how you spend your time. You can choose margin in your life if you are intentional. And in that margin, relationship with God, relationship with others will flourish. And Three things, just three real practical things that, that most of you probably do. But, but you know, if, if, if there's a beginning point, 
in, in, in creating margin, try these three things. Live by a budget. Who likes budgets? Raise your hands. Who hates budgets? Raise your hands, right? Um, you know, it, it's a terrible thing as you, as you get older and you start having teenagers. Spencer always has more money in his wallet than I do. Uh, you know, I don't, he must have a better allowance system than me. Uh, you know, there, there's nothing worse than being a grown man and getting $20 a week as your allowance, right? It just doesn't seem right. Live by a budget. You know, if there, there's all sorts of resources out there. I'll help you find a resource. If you've never, you know, Dylan and Dana, my, my son and his, his, um, his fiance, they're, they're talking about getting married. I'm, I'm already saying, be in a budget now. <laughs> don't, don't wait until you're married to start budgeting. Budget now. Live by a budget. Set time in your calendar for God and for others, and for rest. In other words, don't wait until you have time to do your devotions. Now, don't wait till the time's right to read your Bible. Don't wait until you have time to sit down with your husband or your wife or your kids or your neighbors. Make intentional space for other people. Value rest in your schedule as much as you value work. Who, who would admit that every time they go to bed, there's more to do? That's just truth, folks. You will never get to the point. You can work yourself ragged and you will never... Well, I feel like I'm pointing today. Maybe this is to me. You'll never get to the point. You'll never get to the point where all the work's done. And so this lie that's perpetuated is, if I can get 75 hours in this week, then next week I'll just work 40. But the truth is, when you get 75 hours in the first week, you probably get 75 hours the next week, and the next week, and it becomes never-ending. And relationship suffers. Carefully, Examine your commitments. You know, we do things for all sorts of reasons, don't we? <laughs> you know, I, I'm, as, I'm as guilty as anybody. My, my DS, my district superintendent, asked me to serve on something that I don't want to do. Why do I do it? Right? Is it from God or is it from Paul or is it from uh, some other authority figure? You know, I, I get invited to be on some committee and am I doing it for my own ego? You say, oh, pastor, you don't have an ego. We all have egos that we have to watch. You know, why? Examine the motives of why you're doing things. Examine the motives of why you're not doing things as well. But carefully examine your commitments. I'm going to end with a scripture today. We're going to give some space for prayer because I think it seems appropriate. If we're going to create space, in our, or we're going to talk about creating space, that we create space in this service for you and God. Amen? Amen. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, 
when I was laying in bed thinking about this sermon and thinking about this passage today. And the truth is, it says, um, be still. It does not say, be still and God will move. It doesn't say that. It says, be still and know. The truth is, God is moving. Thank you, Terry. God is moving. He is moving in your life. You you may not sense it, but God is on the move. And God is active. And God is attentive. And, And the psalmist is inviting us to shut our mouths and shut our minds and bow down before him and pay attention to the God that is moving. For some of you, that's what you need this morning. (laughs) You just need to be still and know that he's God. Whatever the circumstance that you're walking through, maybe maybe you think no one knows or no one cares, but our God knows and our God cares. Terry and I have been through something the last couple months, and let me tell you what, our God is so amazing. God is astounding, amazing. He, 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 he carefully considers our life. He is so aware of circumstances in our life and mindful of us. And in our busyness. And the stress of life. Sometimes we can miss it. So I'm going to give us, it's, I, it's 25 after. I'm going to give us five minutes. I don't know. Do we have any soft music back there we can play? Maybe something from uh, Liberace or no. There we go. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Our altars are always available. Altars are great places just to be still and know that he's God. So I encourage you, maybe you want to bring something before him at the altar. Uh, maybe you just want to pray in your pews. Maybe there's somebody, maybe you want to bring your husband or your wife or your kids and pray with them. And then about 9.30, Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer. Father, I read this week that uh, you didn't create us because you needed us. You created us because you wanted to live in fellowship with us. Wow. To live in fellowship with one who chooses to live in fellowship with you. Who chooses to make you the sovereign of our lives. What a privilege. And how often we miss spending time with you. I remember the first time I heard this song, I miss my times with you. I just kind of thought, yeah, I don't spend as much time with God as I once did. And got to the part of the song that it says that it's 
It's you who misses the time with us. What an awesome thought. That you would care so much about our relationship that when we don't spend time with you, you miss it. Thank you for being that kind of God. Father, we're thankful that you are aware of everything that's going on in our lives. You know just what we need before we even ask. The promise is that you would supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory or your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Yet you ask us to come, make our requests and petitions known. Sometimes, Father, we just need to acknowledge that we don't have it together. We don't have it all. We, we need you. And vocalizing it is so important just to say, oh God, I need your help. Can't make it without you. And then as pastor just referred to the circumstances that they're going through, how you come through. Praise your name. So all that we are, all that we have, all that we care about, we just let go and let you have your way today. Help us to be more mindful the margins of our lives and be sure that you're there. So here we go into another week, but may we be different because we've had this encounter with you today. More mindful of our time, our commitments our obligations and we know that we'll be better because of it not because we had to but because out of love and respect for your wisdom for us we gladly say yes Lord yes and it's in the holy name of your son Jesus that we pray Amen Amen you're dismissed